0: Hi everybody, I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. Hey everybody, welcome to this special episode of We Gotta Talk. This is so exciting for me. I love when we get return guests because it feels like we're kind of besties, but she doesn't know it <laughs> at the moment. We have on Dr. Zinavia, who is a board-certified dermatologist, a hormonal skincare expert, and she was on, I believe, around this time last year. And we dug into back then all all things aesthetics skincare through the decades and we're going to kind of dig a little deeper today with questions submitted by you all but really really leaning into the hormonal aspect of skincare because I know we have a lot of ladies out there who are entering that stage of life of motherhood or coming out of it and the hormones as we know change everything let's welcome Dr. Zina Villa to the podcast Dr. Hi. Zina thank you so much for coming back
1: my pleasure. So good to see you, Sony. You look beautiful.
0: Oh, thank you. We were joking before we got on last time. I purposely went makeup free and I got really close and you could see my giant pores. And this time I was like, you know, I'm going to put on makeup for her. Try to be professional about this. So thank you so much. It's
1: all in the eyebrows, girl. Your eyebrows are smoking.
0: <laughs> I told you this was me growing up. If you're not watching a video, it's I had a, the biggest unibrow, like 100% Italian, hair everywhere. And so the this is the only good part of that is that when you're an adult, you know, you have thick eyebrows, but I pay the price.
1: I lots love of, it. I lots love
0: of it. teasing. Tell us about your background, Dr. Zinavia, where are you currently practicing? And like, give us the sort of elevator pitch for what your specialty is when it comes to dermatology.
1: I love it. Okay. So I know I always hate introductions because I always feel like I'm, I'm going to overpromise and underdeliver. but essentially I, you know, I'm, I am a physician. I'm a board certified dermatologist. I went to, um, medical school and residency 4 years for the specialty of dermatology my practice is kind of bread and butter derm i do everything under the sun for skin um both medical and surgical dermatology skin exams acne psoriasis lupus uh the whole nine yards and um i also have a special interest in like the hormonal aspects of skin aging and skin diseases so you know how our hormones affect acne, melasma, and and aging in general. Um, I'm not an endocrinologist, and I never claim to be, but I do have a special interest in that. My practice proper is in Newport Beach, California. That's Southern California, and it's it's quite a large practice. It's kind of like the little monkey on my back, but it is kind of my ice cream shop. I love my practice. I'm a solo practitioner, so. Spend a lot of time and energy on my business. Um, but my favorite thing is being with patients. I mean, I even though I've launched a skincare line in Sephora last year at Sephora.com called Dr. Xenovia Skincare, and it's based on hormonal skincare. But at the heart of me, at the core of me, I am seeing patients, doing surgeries, looking under the microscope at your biopsies, and um, just kind of your bread and butter doctor. And of course, I'm a mother of two. So just, you know, that professional woman balancing is, is a huge part of my life.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's nice to have a passion outside of motherhood, isn't it? Okay. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with having that be your main passion, but I really identify with that, liking to sort of escape from the house or escape into your own world for a bit. Yeah, it you have like to a really be a
1: better mom when you do. I mean, you're a better parent, I think, when you have a personal purpose, you know, outside cool. of that. Yeah.
0: I know I am. I know I am for sure. I have to ask you this before we get started. It's really um, common and sort of trendy these days to see all these influencers hopping on all of those types of social channels, TikTok, Instagram, and talking about their favorite products or recommendations. Do you kind of cringe every time you see
1: someone who is not a professional (laughs) suggesting products? Okay. So first of all, I, I, I don't know what your generation is, but I've ridden the wave of I knew what it was like before computers, Uh, you know, I think, you know, computer access kind of came out um, very early in high school for me and then through college. And I I remember my life without a cell phone. And um, yes, I think the social media and influencer world has really kind of changed the landscape of information and um when you think about uh, you know younger people i just i think that there's like we we've lost a little bit of respect for authority and it goes from everything from politics and government all the way down to like your physician so like you know your local you know hairstylist uh people respect more than let's say you know their 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 cardiologist so i do think it's a generational thing i mean i have met a lot of influencers and skincare experts that have a tremendous popularity following and they don't know anything. They're just kind of packaged nicely. And then I've met others that are incredibly intelligent, very uh, analytical about how they think I'm very educated. So I think as with all, all fields, Sony, it runs the spectrum, but I am a traditionalist. I love meritocracy. I love traditional education and science. I mean, I'm an MD by trade. So to me, I I love basic science and kind of understanding the root of things. And you know, when someone's like, oh, I have niacinamide in my product. And I'm like, so what's the percentage? What's it mixed with? Is it destabilizing? So like, I think that when you have a higher degree of formal education, you can dig deeper, which is kind of the platform of your entire podcast. So yes it is shocking to see the popularity of some people think might not know what they're talking about but you'd be surprised at how many quote unprofessional influencers are actually quite intelligent and have a plethora of information that they're that's worth sharing
0: I know you guys are really active your team is is great on Instagram and social media what yes. do you as you scroll through your feed and you interact with all these people what do you see people? getting wrong about skincare quite a bit? And what do you Mm -hmm. see people getting right?
1: Okay. The main thing, I love the question. I really think the main thing people are getting wrong is that they think there's one solution to their problem or they overemphasize the impact of one product or intervention as the solution to a complicated problem. So just for example, the potato peel, you've got these influencers who are, you know, massive acne, nodulocystic acne. I mean, really horrible disease, scarring disease, and they're futzing with tomatoes and potatoes. Wait, what is this? I have to hop in. What is the potato peel? Oh yeah. So, so there's this thing where like you cut a potato, you put it on your pimple, you tape it on overnight, like a slice of a potato and (laughs) supposedly your pimples better in the morning. And it's like, Oh my God, look at my pimples. I put a potato on it or you know, I'm crushing cucumbers. Isn't this amazing? And my answer is we don't need to invent the wheel guys. There is thousands of articles on the pathophysiology of acne and the disease of acne from mild to severe. And this isn't like wondering what works. We know what works. We know what doesn't. It's research. It's research proven it's reproducible in the literature. It's not like, you know, there's a one hit wonder out there that doesn't exist in the game of science. You know, the body's a complicated immune organ with stressors, both internal and external. You're never going to hit the, you know, the ball out of the park with one thing. So I think that's the biggest error. It's like, try my cream. It's made of, you know, toenail clippings or, try (laughs) my. So I think that's the biggest, and, and I think we've lost authority for evidence. And there's a buzzword in the medical community and it's called evidence-based medicine. And evidence-based medicine is that. It's medicine and how we practice based on what we know in the literature and through you know FDA trials. And to us as doctors, that's truth, right? There's a problem with truth in the community right now. Nobody knows what's real. People are being educated on, you know, kind of Google and and through their friends. So um, as a physician, I I feel, you know, kind of lucky that I understand the the background of things. But I think that's the biggest error I see is that people um, uh, apply really simple and, uh, you know, kind of monetary, like solitary answers to very complex problems. And it's not that way. It's never that easy. It's never that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And, and what's it's cool that it's not that simple. We're complicated beings.
0: What's cool because, you know, people wouldn't waste tens of thousands of dollars and years of their life studying medicine, studying specialties in medicine, yes. if it, there really weren't big things. So in other words, you didn't waste your time.
1: Yeah. No, a and, and as a, I'll tell you, like, I'm sure you know this too. Like I try to figure things out all the time on my own. And, um, you know, I get people who come into my office, like, I've, I've tried 20 products, I keep getting facials, but my skin's not better. And I'm like, you should have seen a dermatologist like 10 years ago, or, yeah. you know, it's kind of like that thing where it's like, people think that they can solve their problems. So um, it, is, it is hard and, and access to doctors is hard and, and public healthcare access is a big issue. So I know these things are complicated for people, but I can't how many people I see that spend thousands of dollars on products and thousands of dollars on facials and devices and they've still got you know bad acne and it's like you think you should go see a doctor
0: well there's something to be said for and i want to dive into this a little bit later because i do want to get your thoughts on what people are getting right but there is something to be said for consistency and in a world that is inundated with new products, yeah. new lines, new launches, and the temptation of social media, as you scroll, it is so hard. And I say, this is mm-hmm. a total product whore to stick with one yeah. thing. And yeah. but when I do, it is the only time that I see consistent good results, but the temptation is real doc. It is so I real. know,
1: I know. And I'm a product whore too. I mean, you should see my stuff. I love it. But you know, consistency is huge. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, this is a big issue in the medical community too, is like compliance. Like I'll see a teenage boy and like invariably, I don't like put this on first this on second some third. I can't say that to a teenage boy. Teenage boys aren't going to put on 15 products in the morning and 10 products at night. They're like one and done, I'm out of here. So as a physician, I have to be creative and be like, okay, you're a 17 year old dude. You don't want to futz with creams. Why don't we get this simple regimen anyway? So compliance, which is, are you doing the things you should be doing is a huge issue. And that comes up with a consistency thing. Consistency with skincare is key and sticking to something that works for you and not trying to change all the time. Because a lot of what I see is people like find the next thing and they think it's going to be better. And then they go through this transition phase and they're kind of like two steps forward, 10 steps back. So consistency is key. and and. And really like knowing your skin is key. That's another huge one. Just because it worked for your friend doesn't mean it's right. going to work
0: you. Okay. I have a question about this though, because I think, and I hear this question quite frequently on beauty podcasts or when doctors are are discussing on public platforms, you know, what's best for skin. We always hear skin typing. I, I don't, do you believe in skin types or is there okay.
1: just it's people that question.
0: have an irritant or a sensitivity yeah. under certain conditions? Like yeah. what's the real deal?
1: Okay this is like the key of life and that is know thyself. Okay. It's like the way we get along in relationships, the way is the right career, the way we navigate our life. You've got to know your body too, you know, and it takes a while, but, but most teenagers, even at the age of like 12 or 13 can tell me, Oh yeah, that stings oh yeah, I don't wash my face and then I get pimples. People know their body. It's like the most personal experience in our lives is a body as temple. So traditional skin typing puts people in boxes. Like, you know, I'm dry, I'm oily, I'm sensitive. And I, I see, and, and that's like a, cl- a splitter. You're splitting people up, okay, in little boxes. I, mean, I don't think physiology works that way. I think a lot of people are sensitive, but still baking pimples and oily. So you're not dry. So I think there's a lot of cross. And so it's hard to know what, when you you compartmentalize people too rigidly, Sony, it doesn't work. You need to kind of expand your mind and know yourself. So I'll ask people, are you ever flaky? Okay, that's a key sign of sensitivity. Are you ever, um, when you try a product, does it sting? you know, that's important. That is a key sign. So I think really understanding your skin and understanding like how it reacts to products is kind of a personal experience. And you can't put yourself in a box because I think the human tissue is too. And this is the other thing, Sony, which is so amazing. The only organ in our body that is touching the outside world is our skin and our gut. Actually, our gut and our skin is the only organ that's touching the outside world. So it's it's a huge important factor in your immune system. I mean, I don't think we emphasize enough how much our skin is an immune organ. And, um, and, and that's like something I've been really researching lately for the last couple of years. And, and there's something there that I don't think we quite understand, and it's skin and immune um, relationship
0: let's take I'm so glad you went here because my next question was about the gut skin health connection now yeah. this is completely anecdotal but as someone who as a child raised in the 80s with ear infections I got the pink stuff I got amoxicillin every other month and yeah. only as an adult did I begin to experience what I now look back in retrospect as all the negative effects of years of antibiotics in addition to an allergy to penicillin also tons of skin issues and it was only when I paid attention to my gut health that I really thought felt healed from the inside out. So talk about what you know scientifically about the connection between our internal health, specifically our gut, yeah. and what presents to the world, i.e. our skin.
1: Yeah, very awesome subject. And I will tell you, I mean, I've been to the American Academy of Dermatology every year for the last 20 years. Uh, and I can say that this has been a hot topic for the last decade, you know? And I think it's still kind of misunderstood, but I will go so far as to say there's there's no... Uh, cheek coined boxed answer because, um, what I do know is that the skin and the, and the gut is a contiguous, uh, envelope, you know, like if you just like kind of rub your skin and then you go inside, there's skin inside your mouth, there's skin inside your esophagus. So it is a contiguous organ. Um, and your immune health in your gut, um, is high, you know, basically heavily regulates your entire immune system. So it's not just the skin. Okay. It regulates the way you deal with medication. It regulates the way your body, uh, kidney excretes certain, you know, electrolytes. So the gut health is, is profoundly affects all systems of the body, including the gut. I will say that one of the buzzwords in, um, you know, in, in, in just general news, but certainly in the medical community is this entire concept of inflammation. Okay, when your body is inflamed, a lot of that inflammation is in the gut, and the, the inflammation starts with all the insults that we put in our body, high sugar, high fats, animal proteins. And the idea is that your gut is exposed to the outside world, which is the food that you're introducing it to, and it upregulates inflammatory mediators throughout the body. And then that is affecting disease systems. So, like if you've got rheumatoid arthritis, if you're eating a crappy diet and partying on the weekends, your arthritis is worse. No, you know, no clue Sherlock Holmes of course it's worse your total body inflammation is worse we see that with acne we see that with psoriasis we see that with skin cancer if Mm. your body is in a low inflammatory state inflammatory conditions come up so I think there's a lot like I'll just give you something even way more interesting we know that there are certain vaccines that work for metastatic melanoma which is you know melanoma that has gone elsewhere and we have chemotherapies that we give people okay, that treat the metastatic disease. If you have a particular gut health, if you have another gut health, the chemotherapy doesn't work. It's like, what? Chemotherapy of efficacy is related to your gut health? Yes, because gut health is everything. It's like the weirdest thing. And I think inflammation, immunity. It's all kind of unraveling with the G- with the human genome project. And I think we're getting better mm. at understanding that connection.
0: Ugh, I cannot wait to I know. know what my kids know about. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we're already able to take charge in really meaningful ways of our individual yeah. health that we never were before with with gut, pa- you know, panels and, and, and blood panels and like for knowing sure. where to, but like, can you imagine? Oh my God, I'm excited for our kids. No, I but have but to one run- thing
1: I say one more thing real quick, which is so important. It's like I've got kids. He wants to eat cookies, licorice, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, his gut health. I'm giving him his probiotics. At the end of the day, it's not like my kid can be like a full-on paleo and he'll never get diseases, right? That's the other thing. People are like, oh, I'm so clean. I barely eat anything. I'm like on green juice every day and I'm still getting acne. It's like, hold up, wait a minute. Just because you eat clean, just because you're like perfectly no sugar, no stress, you're yoga princess. That still doesn't mean you're gonna be disease free. There's another whole background there, and you know what it is? It's called genetics. Ugh, okay. That's complicated.
0: It is complicated. I mean, but so many, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking back now to um, this woman I interviewed who was a breast cancer surgeon.
1: Yeah.
0: And she seems to think that it is, I forget what the statistic was, but it was her and a neurologist I recently interviewed who's done a ton of research on Alzheimer's. A lot of people in the medical field now seem to think it's much more epigenetic and how our genetics interact with our triggers we put it in. If you had to pick a percentage of what we are destined? to get due to our genetics alone, versus yes. what we get due to the triggers in our environment? Like yeah. what would the percentage be on each of those in your yeah. opinion? You know
1: what? Yeah, it's. It, I love you, Sony, because you are like a scientist at heart. You are so intelligent. <laughs> I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this conversation. The answer is it's, it's the age-old debate over nature-nurture, right? Uh, are we destined to get what we get because of our genes? Or is it what we do throughout our lifespan that gives us what we get? And the answer is, it depends on the disease. There are some conditions that are purely genetic. Huntington's disease, for example, there's nothing you can do, girlfriend. If you've got the gene, you're getting it, okay? But there's other diseases that are largely epigenetic and that have nothing to do with your genes or are environmental. Like, let's say, um, you know, transitional cell carcinoma of the bladder, 100% has to do Smoking, no doubt about it. People get bladder cancer from smoking. If you didn't smoke, you wouldn't get cancer. That is a fact. So I think it depends. And and one of the most interesting studies that's done in the medical community are called twin concordance studies. Get this you have two identical twins. They are genetic clones. They are identical in their human genome. And then you follow them over the course of 30, 40, 50 years. And then you see what diseases they they produce. And they determine, oh, of identities, 50% had, you know, the same amount of colon cancer. The other 50 didn't. So you do these twin concordance studies, which, which tell you, if I controlled for genetic, you know, Sequencing, which is identical twins. What diseases do those two people end up having? And then you can determine which part of that disease is genetic and which part is environmental. They're beautiful studies. Yes. And and, and you know what the answer is? Most things, kind of you got both. You got a little bit of the gene nick and you got a little bit of the environmental nick. And that creates the perfect cocktail to get the disease. (sighs) It's a little bit of both.
0: It's a little bit of both as a person who suffers from medical anxiety. These are the strange things I ponder and I'm just a lay person. So I'm grateful for that. Okay. I have many questions for you, but I do want to address. We love when our live guests drop in questions. So Gloria asked a couple of minutes ago, she says that taking 500 milligrams of vitamin B5 with each meal, never on an empty stomach has helped with acne. It'll make it lessen and disappear. Have you heard about that? Hack? Yes. Does so, that
1: so B5, B3, the B vitamins, Nicotinamide, niacinamide, those are um, basically endogenous anti-inflammatory agents. Okay, so um, we all see, you know, niacinamide inside our little creams now and those help the inflammatory cascade. So the answer is yes. Anything that's anti-inflammatory can help. Um can, can help skin. I um, recommend nicotinamide, 500 milligrams twice a day. You buy it at Whole Foods or your local vitamin shop, and it decreases the rate of skin cancer by close to 80%. I mean, it's like ridiculous. Who wouldn't take that? There's no side effects to the medication. As far as um, generic anti-inflammatories like Advil and things like that, do they help acne? We don't see a whole lot of that. And the reason why is because Acne is a multifactorial disorder. You know, you've got follicular plugging, you've got bacterial overgrowth, you've got um, hormonal stimulation of the sebaceous, and you have inflammation. So if you have four reasons why you're getting a pimple and you're only inflammation, you're not addressing the other three. So mm-hmm. not, a, again, a one-stop shop solution.
0: Right. Okay. Here's what I really want to do. We got to kind of work through it quickly because I have yeah, so much more I want to get yeah. to, but yeah. I wanted to walk through skincare through the decades. Maybe some of the biggest challenges you see for each, for this particular decade and I'll run you through each one. And um, what have often been great cure, not cures or great fixes for those issues. Yeah. So let's start in the teens. Um, yeah. I would imagine the biggest issue is acne, but that's me answering your question. Let's start in the teens and work our way through biggest, the fifties yeah, and
1: sixties. Biggest issue with acne is the um, biggest tissue, um, issue with teenagers is acne and confidence. And you know how your acne affects your confidence. Um, the main yes. thing I tell everybody is one of the little nuggets about uh, teenage acne is it's often related to the amount of oil we're producing in our scalp. So I do think an anti-dandruff is largely overlooked with teenage acne, but I think a basic skin regimen that involves uh, a cleanser, a benzoyl peroxide, And a retinol is the three main things you need for acne care. Okay, done. Cleanser, benzoyl peroxide, retinol. That's it. I love anti-dandruff shampoos because teenagers get oily and you get yeast overgrowth. And the yeast overgrowth in our scalp causes inflammation in the face, causing acne. So I think those are the mainstays for teens.
0: Wow. That's fascinating. I never heard about that shampoo hack before. Okay. Good Mm -hmm. to know. Uh, We'll cut these into sound bites. So I will be putting these on Instagram because I love this. Let's move into the twenties. Um, Mm -hmm. what's the biggest concern or issue you see there and what often works?
1: 20s is still acne Sony. And the reason why is because in our twenties, um, we're seeing kind of hormonal acne extend beyond the age of 17 now. And even people in their 20s begin to, you know, are saying, God, I never broke out as a teenager and now I'm breaking out again. And we see a lot more hormonal acne in um, the 20s. And so I'm seeing a lot of women get jawline, beardline acne around their menstrual cycle. Um, Men will say, I never broke out when I was a teenager and now I'm breaking out. So again, a good regimen with um, a cleanser, benzoyl peroxide and a retinol. Uh, The other key thing that begins to happen in their 20s, particularly women in their late 20s, is some pigmentation disorders like melasma and uh, things like that. And that's, again, related to oral contraceptive use. You know, a lot of people are sexually active in their 20s and they're they're you know, because of the milieu of oral contraceptives and their hormone state, they're making melasma. So I start seeing melasma in people's 20s.
0: Oh, that does anything. I know that the melasma debate is sort of an episode in and of itself, um, but can you just briefly give people a direction to go in? Because that was actually one of the questions I got submitted from someone on Instagram. So (laughs) give us a general direction that we need to start in if melasma is something we're doing. Okay.
1: Love it. We'll make this quick. I love how fast you are. Okay. Number one, if you're on oral contraceptives and you have melasma, you want to consider coming off of them. If you have an IUD that has hormones in it, you want to consider changing it to a non-hormone IUD. Secondly, the most important thing for melasma, hands down 100 dermatologists in a room would agree is sunscreen you need a physical blocker either zinc or titanium i don't care if you use sunscreen every single day in your bb cream it needs to be a physical blocker and you need to stay out of the sun so if you're like oh my god i use my sunscreen every day and you go one day to the beach sorry there's your melasma on that one day to the beach it requires daily care second you don't get rid of your melasma and it's gone forever melasma is a chronic condition it's like dandruff you're going to wash your hair. You're going to make the again because that's your physiology. Same with melasma. Um, and then, of course, the mainstays of melasma are the high-potency vitamin C in the morning. That's a brightening agent. And retinol and hydroquinone at night with glycolic peel. So a glycolic peel pad, retin-A and hydroquinone, plus vitamin C in the morning. Numero uno, though, is sunscreen. Right there is your cocktail. No dermatologist disagree with It's not like I have a special cream. This company came out with this. Nobody would argue with vitamin C in the morning, glycolic and retinols at night. Done.
0: Do you have any issues or concerns about the long-term use of hydroquinone? I know that in the EU that's like banned. And Japan, some, yes. yes,
1: banned in Japan and the answer is the FDA looked at HQ, hydroquinone guys at less than 4%, it's over the counter. Over 4% and above it's it's a prescription. I do not. I have been using hydroquinone in my patients for about 15 years. I cycle patients through. So what I do is I, you know, like all dermatologists, we make a little compounded agent of, I do, 6% hydroquinone, retinoic acid, 0.1%. And I couple that with a little hydrocortisone. That becomes like the old Triluma. Remember that back in the day? Oh, yeah. Most dermatologists will compound their own bleaching cream. That's what we call it. I put my patients on it for three months, and then I cycle them off to traditional retinol. Of course, we know ret- is the best anti-ager second to sunscreen so i every single person that makes a brown spot i don't care if you're japanese african-american or italian everybody makes brown spots except norwegian so everybody needs a little hydroquinone and retinol and if you, you cycle yourself through three months of that to erase kind of your pigmentation you go back to your traditional retinol in the summer you're going to get pigmentation again and then you go back to your hydroquinone and retinol cocktail in the in the fall
0: Those Scandinavians are perfect, and I am upset about it. I know,
1: but they get wrinkles.
0: They're tall, they're
1: thin, and you're like, what? Okay. I know, but they get wrinkles because they
0: don't have the melanin (laughs) to protect their collagen. They can borrow some of my oil over here. (laughs) Um, Okay, let's move into the 30s, which not for everyone, but can sometimes see the beginning of motherhood and all the hormonal transitions that happen with that. So let's speak specifically to the 30s decade, the problem, and the prescription.
1: Yes, 30s is is, is a really interesting phase in in everyone's life. And you begin to see kind of the early signs of actually skin aging. And um, essentially what's happening is is you're kind of out of your prime birth years, even though in industrial countries we all have kids after the age of 30, the real prime birth years when your estrogen is through the roof, Sony, is like, you know. 17 to like 26 you know those are your prime birth ages but in the 30s we begin to see a little bit of drop in estrogen in women and you begin to see the signs of aging and what that means is you're more dry you start to see lines of expression you know the little forehead lines the little 11s so you begin to start seeing um a little bit of thinning of the skin and i'm not talking about dermal thinning epidermal i'm talking about the fat of your skin you're just skinnier in the face you're not so chubby and dewy so um, i think that you begin to see early signs of epidermal hydration due to estrogen loss so you need a moisturizer for per se that you maybe you didn't need moisturizer in your 20s um and then you begin to see sunspots your 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 reparative mechanisms in your skin aren't where they were when you were 17 so if you go in the sun for two hours you're going to make like an old lady brown spot that happens in your 30s and people start, start showing up with solar lentigos we call them um and so again i recommend a sunscreen in the morning a vitamin c and then maybe a, a retinol and a moisturizer you can't tolerate your retinols alone anymore and then of course start doing procedures in your 30s Sony. women start not liking the crow's feet so we do a little what we call toxins or neuromodulators and a maybe i mean This Instagram social media, people start doing fillers in their 30s. It's crazy, but they do. Women want high cheekbones, fuller lips. So people definitely start dabbling earlier in cosmetic procedures. And that happens between the age of, I would say, 25 to 35
0: hmm. That's when they start. That's when I started. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the tweakments like small little nudges here little and there.
1: Nudges and little nudges and doing things for maintenance, right? right. You don't want to like wait till you look like crap and then fix it. Right. Till, and you just want to be like, pink little something, bink. Mm-hmm. And you're like looking good all through your decades. I tell women, I had a woman that came to me yesterday. She was like, I'm 32. I've had my two babies. I just don't feel right. I don't know what to do. Blah, blah. I said, OK, let's look at your skin. And I I always evaluate my cosmetic consultations in four ways. I look at your color. Is your color even? I look at your texture. Is your texture smooth? I look at your volume. Volume creating shadows or proportion changes. And then I look at your elasticity. Color, texture, volume, elasticity. And when I analyze your skin based on those four criteria, I tell you what I think you need based on what your area of like, you know, what what we can augment. A lot of people come here like, I want Botox. I'm like, you kind of don't need it. You need a laser. Let me show you why. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it stems from a, a real comprehensive analysis that really breaks down the issues of your face because we're so bombarded with advertisement. Nobody knows what the hell to do.
0: Well, that's why everybody looks the same too, right? You scroll through yes. and you see the same face everywhere. So the high. High. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is such validation so for seeing an expert and letting someone get their hands on your skin and letting someone and,
1: play know, around with I, it and see. Oh, Sony, you nailed it. How many times I'm like, do my lips like this, and like, <laughs> but wait, your eyes are too small for those lips or- yeah. In fact, your lip should be a bit broader because your nasal ala, has to be on, you know, like there's things that doctors and, and aesthetic providers understand that patients don't see. So 100%, you need a real keen eye to know what cosmetic intervention would look best on your face. Cause exactly right. We all start looking like clones. Yeah. It look yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Okay. Let's move into the forties and the issues you start to see there. I just turned 40 last month. And so this is I'm excited to hear the answer. Here, You're so
1: beautiful. Um,
0: well, I get my Botox, Doctor Z. So I
1: love it. <laughs> and and you know, um, in your 40s, women um, definitely begin to not feel themselves. They look at themselves in the mirror and they're like, "God, I looked good like a couple months ago," and I'm just like, all of a sudden, I look old. And it's funny, Sony. Aging doesn't happen in a linear fashion. You don't look like two months older two months later. You could look like two years older two months later, and a lot of that is hormonal, which is interesting. And this is kind of my personal interest with hormonal dermatology. But I think that in your 40s, one of the main things I see is volume loss, uh, tissue dryness, and again, that's due to the estrogen loss in your in your body, and uh, essentially shifts. So we see texture changes like you just start getting more lines and your pores look bigger. We start seeing pulse in the tear troughs from fat pad shift. You know, we all have a little fat pad at the edge of our malar fat pad, and that descends with age. So that causes a nasolabial labial fold. So you get anatomical shifts in tissue from bony muscle and soft tissue changes. And so I do start seeing a shift in the shape of the face. That starts in your 40s. And that's where tightening devices and fillers and Sculptra, which stimulates collagen and and kind of licks you instead of plumps you, starts to become more important.
0: Oh, I love You know,
1: it's funny you say that
0: because I'm very candid on this show, as everybody knows. Instead of filler, that's what my provider gave me under my eye. It was Sculptra.
1: Love Sculptra.
0: I I have the hollowest eyes. I'm pretty much a skeleton. I don't know. It's, It's genetic. And that made a... A huge difference. Yes. And so I, you know, it, it, I don't it, know what it, I would look like without it now, because this, yeah. I mean, it was years now, maybe a couple of years ago. And I do feel like the volume, I retained the volume from that. Cause what's happening is it like it triggered a growth, like my, my skin to How does it work? It's like a polylactic acid.
1: Yes. So basically Sculptra is, it's a powder and it's injected in the tissue in the same way that you inject, let's say Botox or traditional filler. But unlike being like a ball of jelly in your face, like traditional filler, which are hyaluronic acid, it's polylactic acid. You put it in and your body sees this molecule, eats it up and then plants down collagen in place of it. So it's a collagen stimulating filler. And I consider it like fertilizer for the skin. So I really love it for exactly what you just said. You said, I'm like Skeletor. I see I'm like skinny and it just kind of slowly expands the tissue, but it's not like in a fake way where you look like you have a ball of meat in your face. Mm -hmm. It just slowly grows your own collagen. And the reason why it lasts is because it's your own collagen, your collagen lasts. It's not like a product. With time over the course of a year.
0: Yeah. I mean, it
1: was stupid
0: expensive. This was one of the one the credit card bills that I had to hide from Andrew, but I'm <laughs> glad that I did it. <laughs> I was like, listen, he has Amex alerts on his phone, and I was like, Just so look at your funny. phone for the next three hours. I know.
1: But I, I love you know, the tricks goes, women. I well, love yeah. those. Uh, I mean, it goes back to what me. you
0: said though. It's like, you know, I you know, there are sacrifices I make in other ways so that I could spend money on other things yeah. that. Prolonged. I love your face,
1: by the way. I would never, even with a discerning eye like me, I would never look at you, which unfortunately is rare these days, and say, "Oh my God, that chick's had so much filler in her face; she's totally got the fake face." But I don't oh. see that in you at all. You look fresh. Thank you, you look. You do. You look really good, Sony, and 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 real and real. That's well. What you- That's a
0: priority too. And I'm obviously not an expert, but from the consumer angle, and you know, you're on a platform and a lot of people ask me around town, where do you go? What do you like? My preference is exactly what you do, which is the underdone look, the more natural. I'm not saying it's for everybody, but I am just such a fan of people like you who do work. That is, um, it's subtle. And I feel like you- But get away. And story. I just wish people would talk about it more. I mean, no, everybody I does this listen, people down here do talk about it, but not everywhere. And it's like it's a
1: generational thing though. I remember right. there's an article in the New York times a couple of years ago that really kind of exposed New York versus California, like the bi-coastal look. Right. Mm-hmm. And in New York, everyone's kind of like, age appropriate and and doesn't want to look done and in california everybody wants to be a blown up pinnacle and it was really interesting just to look at the analysis of the trends and the cosmetic trends in the different areas of, of the united states and i certainly see it but it is generational and we shouldn't pass judgment on each other no just because woman wants super big lips that's her prerogative it's her right. body and she can do that if she wants and if that's her in that's great where i draw the line is when i see body dysmorphia yeah, I see psychological disturbances in young women who don't feel good about themselves and they keep doing one thing after another and they're thinking they're going to find the sense of confidence and it's not that it's inside that they're hurting. And I refer to psychiatrists all the time because of body dysmorphia because I'm in Newport Beach, California. Mm. And- everybody's obsessed with how they look and they have no sense of self worth. So I have to really be careful because everybody comes to me who wants another tube of filler. And I'm like, you kind of don't need it. And it's going to make you look worse. And I don't know what to tell you, but I think you're having a self image issue. And I have those frank conversations.
0: I mean, it does start to, and I know you and I touched on this, in a previous episode with our kids and, and raising children and how we how we explain to them the things that we have done to our bodies or have chosen to do. But it all comes back to having reached a point in my life at least where I feel I feel Uh, in love with the inside person. And therefore the decisions that I make on the outside are secondary to my level of happiness. It's a boost. It's an extra. It's not like I need this to walk outside the door, but it's really, it's so hard to be a woman, especially in the public eye, because you you get a level of judgment, whether you do this stuff and admit to it or whether you do it and don't, or whether you don't Uh do it at all. And so, I mean, my MO is to just be as, you know, be honest when I can about these things, because the last thing you want to is for people to scroll through and think that this is, know oh gosh people like you know there's aspirational bloggers, right and i scroll through and i'm like do they
1: really wake up looking like this like i'm old enough now to know they don't but you know it's It's so hard and we're all i mean my daughter is now 14 and she'll be like mom i wish my waist looked like this and i'm like babe I'm like you're perfect. Who so? It's just it's so hard being a woman. This has been kind of the the cross that we bear from you know Edwardian times with women wearing like you know or, or Asian foot binding. I mean, it hasn't stopped. It has gotten worse, I think, with social media because we're all the filters and stuff. And it's so unfortunate. But as long as we have conversations like this, honestly, and it's women like you and me kind of being honest and and talking shop it's like it debunks all those feelings but I have to admit I'm kind of a jerk like my daughter will wake up and go to high school and I'll be like don't you ever kind of brush your hair and she's like mom I don't care like you do and I'm like, I'm like I'm totally like so vain you know so it's like we're all in it even me it's like I'm like putting my kid down to brush her hair and she's like mom you totally are so vain I don't give a crap I like, mean
0: I have, not, I have not unlocked the key to communicating with girls yet. I've found so far <laughs> that anything that I want, I just act in the opposite direction. And oh, then what I want so to happen. True. But it's true. I mean, yes, we've had this conversation. Now, my girls are, so my son is, is eight and a half. My one daughter is seven and then four. So the seven-year-old, we're in the period of talking about, okay, when is it... A, I say it's, it's respectful to dress up and brush your hair in a certain way and do this when we go, but it's still a hard sell. She's like, well, why can't I wear my drawstring cotton shorts? And I'm like, well, I'm kind of with you, but it's so hard. It's so funny. It's so funny. And you know, all we're doing out here is trying to raise decent humans. I'm so okay with, you know, whatever she wants to do when she's an an adult with her body and her image. Mm -hmm. But right now you do have, it's just a lot. It's amazing. That's a lot. Okay, I, I before we let you go, um, yeah. I do want to ask you. And we went over this last time, but oh shoot, I have a couple of viewer questions too. Okay, let me run through this question, and then our last round, which was questions, just a few submitted on Instagram. We'll get no through those quickly. No problem. But babe. before we go, let's talk about the one or two ingredients or products that people need in their routines. We have a couple of beginners who might be listening who want to get serious about um, improving their skin texture or improving, you know, fine lines and wrinkles. So give us a basic starter kit of products.
1: Love it. Okay, so um, first, let's talk about knowing your skin type. Okay, first, are you a sensitive person? Are you extra oily? Are you dry? If you have a rash on your face, if you have acne, if you have eczema, it's hard to say use this because your skin's going to be reactive. So Anybody, I'm just going to say out the shoot, If you have a disease on your face, acne, rosacea, eczema, yeah. you should consult a dermatologist. Number one. Number two. Yeah. Let's say you're like yeah. the yeah. average girl and you don't have any major issues and you're like just yeah. kind of. What should I get? I have a very simple philosophy, and it is very yeah. kind of evidence based. Yeah. And what it is is, number one, every morning. Numero uno, you need an antioxidant. That's generic. It doesn't make any sense. What is it? Basically, anything that has high potency, vitamin C, vitamin E, coffee berry, but you got to find a good one. But I love some of the MD dispensed vitamin Cs because they're 20% or higher, and it's an antioxidant that's blocking sun damage, period, blocks uh, collagen depletion blocks pigment production, antioxidants in the morning, numero uno, actually numero dos, numero uno is sunscreen. That's it. Vitamin C in the morning, sunscreen, you're done. Do you need serums, toners, uh, scrubs, eye creams, kind of icing on the cake, the bread and butter in the morning for good skincare is antioxidation and sun protection, period. At night, I believe in a glycolic or beta hydroxy acid to slap down that dead layer. We all heap up that skin and it becomes unreflective. So you need to swoop off that dead layer. It's part of like having a long nail on your face. You don't want that. It, it doesn't reflect light beautifully. So a glycolic peel pad, love. And it's one of my key products in my line. And Dr. Zinovia was the 10% glycolic peel pad. It's one of my favorite products. And then a retinol. Retinols are all over the map. They jimmy them down so much now at the grocery store that you don't even know what you're getting. Get a medical grade retinol started slowly, Monday, Friday, Monday, Friday, Monday, Friday. If you're not dry and flaky, add Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then the question is, do I need moisturizer? Are you dry? Are you flaky? Then the answer is yes. If you're not dry and flaky, let that retin-A be at the highest concentration on your face and don't dilute it with a moisturizer. So that's, my, that's kind of my thing. What about stem cells, Dr. Z? What about, uh, you know, a PRP? What about, like, growth factors? You know what I think? Around the age of 50 or 45, when your skin starts slowing down and, and it gets quiet and lazy, I do like a little growth factor stem cell stimulation nightly, but so not necessary. The bread and butter of good skincare is sun protection, antioxidation and cell turnover with glycolic and retinol. That's science, guys.
0: Perfect, okay, let's get to these quick questions before we go, and these were submitted by people, so unfortunately I don't know like ages or specifics,
1: but here we go, treatment for scars. Love it, scars are misunderstood. I'm gonna ask every patient this question. When you call a mark, a scar, is it indented? or is it just flat and colored? If it's flat and colored, it's not a scar. In the world of medicine, a scar is an indentation. If you have indentations in your face, the only thing that can treat indentations or scars is something that punctures the epidermis. Either a laser, multiple microneedling procedures, Or procedures like subcision, and even, you know, like where we take a little needle and cut through the scar tissue. So treatment for true scars, there's no cream on the market that can treat an indentation. But there are lasers and devices that can do that. Now, if you have marks that are flat do hydroquinone, sunscreen, vitamin C, to lighten red or brown marks, but those are not scars. That's why defining what we're talking about is super important.
0: Okay. Good to know. So go to your dermatologist, see if it's flat. If if you've got
1: indentations, don't waste your money on expensive products.
0: Oh, that's good to know. Okay. Um, This person was looking for better, cleaner products. This is, I feel again, could be a podcast in and of itself. Let me ask you this. Is there a concern to you about any ingredients? And if this person does want to avoid and kind of lean toward the commonplace definition Mm -hmm. of clean, which is without parabens, without fragrance, is there anything you suggest?
1: Yeah, so so that was really important to me when I was craning the doctor Zenovia line um, essentially being paraben free animal free cruelty free and also like methyl parabens the answer is is you know a lot of companies now are going clean but these are the two main ingredients I would stay clear of it's methyl parabens and parents and um, propylene glycol those are those are kind of the three kind of you know, ones that cause irritation and have been known to, you know, essentially like BPA, all those bisphosphonates in the baby bottles, you know, all that stuff is really toxic over long periods of time. So those would be the three ingredients. There's so many clean um, skincare lines out there. I'm so proud of the beauty community for really kind of wanting to create those lines. I know Derma E has an amazing, uh, you know, clean, green approach. Even a lot of the um, Gwyneth Paltrow stuff, there's a lot of stuff out there that is really going clean. And Dr. Zenovia is certainly one of them and committed to that.
0: Awesome. I have used your uh, almost your entire line now, and the retinol is amazing. It, it glides, nice. uh, it just glides on so yeah. well. The the, Bacucciol cleanser in the morning is my favorite because it's nice Thank and you. gentle. The pads, everything is awesome. So great Thank on that. Okay. So the last question we have is, and I don't know how much into the weeds you want to get with this, but they're asking about how hormones impact your hair. I know you were clear in the beginning. Oh. I'm not an endocrinologist, but you probably right. hear from people who, who struggle wow. with this.
1: Okay. So, first of all, hair loss is my jam mainly because my mom and grandma have such just like thinning it's like scared the bejeebies out of me so i love when i it's funny when i go to conferences in the derm community i go to skin cancer conferences hormones and hair loss it's like my like personal kind of achilles heel and hormones impact the hair tremendously I would say, I I mean, this is a fact 85% of women over the age of 50 complain of hair loss. That's almost everybody, guys. And it is due to the lack of hormonal support of the hair follicle. So, one of the things that happens, it's not that your testosterone is too high or your estrogen is too low. It's not that. What happens is if you're free of thyroid disease, free of anemia, free of autoimmune disease, because these are the things that we screen for to make sure that you don't have an internal issue causing hair follicular miniaturization, we call it. Um, We now chalk it up as androgenetic alopecia. You know what that means? Hormones and genes are causing you to lose your hair. Does it run in your family? And your hormones are not supporting the hair follicle. And so the answer is, is it's the milieu, it's the cocktail of hormones. So when you're a teenager and you have like flowing thick hair, you've got, let's say your is here and your testosterone's here and you're going through those years. Now all of a sudden do this. Uh, so it's not that your testosterone went up, it's that your estrogen went down. And now that ratio or that distance between those hormones is not creating the cocktail of support that your hair follicle needs. And so I am a huge believer of early Hair loss prevention. What that means is don't wait to get thin and try and grow back. Support your hair follicle early. So around the age of 45, I'll start women on minoxidil. I'll start women on, I love this little stem cell complex. Do I check hormones? You're darn right I do. I make sure that you're not having thyroid, hypertestosteronism, anemia, lupus. I make sure your blood panel's clean before we throw the kitchen sink PRP people do lasers you can't imagine how much money people spend on hair loss and there's a couple research proven things minoxidil being one of them some of the laser caps are really effective but again you have to rule out scalp disease before you waste any of your money
0: Quick and this will be the last thing. Again, bearing in mind, I'm sorry, my children are actually no, 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 don't totally forget to their-
1: it. Um, I don't want to be long winded either.
0: No, you're amazing, but this is the craziness of my house. What do you think of bio identical hormones? And would you, as an MD, take them? This just reminds me of a conversation I recently had with my medical practitioner, and yes. this is the age she said where women, yes. you know, the 40s, start to see that hormonal imbalance. Yes. And I know there's a big debate. On hormones in general, but bioidentical. What is your personal belief on okay. that?
1: Okay, I I believe in bioidentical hormones. I think bioidentical hormones are the new way that women are going to start and men are going to sup- be supplementing their physiology. If you think, if you look at the fifty-year history of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, you walked in at fifty-five, you were like, "I'm a bitch. I can't sleep. I hate my husband. Everything drives me crazy," and they throw you a generic. <sighs> of 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 a one-stop kind of um uh, you know like a like a one-stop dosage of Premarin that is not cool you needed less she needs more he needs this much that much it has to be customized to your own physiology and that's what bioidentical hormones is they look at you independently at a given point in time in your life and say, wow, your hormones are this. I'm going to give you a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you need a little bit of this to make sure you don't bleed again. And this is the nature of bioidentical hormones. How do I support Sony's body where she is today to help the symptoms that she's having? The key thing, though, that I just want to mention, and I know you got your kiddos right there, is that hormone replacement is not simply based on your blood work. Hormone replacement is based on your symptoms. Are you having hot flashes? Are you an an insomniac? Are you irritable? So symptoms is a huge part of the analysis. So you need a really good doctor that can understand what you're personally going through. Because some of us are 45 and like, yeah, who cares? I don't sleep a couple times a week. I don't care. Other people, it paralyzes them not to sleep a couple times a week. So I think personal experience is huge. And we all go through life right now None of us want to feel anything. We don't want to be depressed for a day. We don't want to like be pissed off for a week. We all want that happy place all the time. And that's not life. Okay? That's not life. Now, the problem is is that people are going out taking Prozac and Paxil and on a crash diet and doing all sorts of stuff. Get your hormones checked by a doctor who can analyze your own personal experience. And your own blood work and come up with solutions for you because what you're going to take today, Sony, as a 40 year old gorgeous woman, because you're like kind of feeling a little cranky and not good is not going to be what you need in two years, right? And it's not going to be where you are in five years, your body's ever evolving. So you need that personal relationship with your doctor.
0: Yes. Oh my God. It's music to my ears. I, yeah. I, if I would have known the impact hormones would have on me when I be- say hello. See, this is one oh of the Oh my gosh. Reasons- let me
1: see that. Music. <laughs> Hi, who's this? Hello. This is okay. Cecilia.
0: Okay, Where's go, go, go.
1: Baby. You see my little baby right there. I do. That's her. a gorgeous I picture.
0: <laughs> okay. Baby. They're asking about their pop it's Dr. Z, I'm gonna let you go. Listen, I'm grateful. You I, I could talk to you for hours. I know. You, should you, a
1: girl I know.
0: you come visit me in Orlando, okay? Um, tell everybody quickly where to find you on Instagram and about your product line and where to locate that as well.
1: Thank you so much, Sonny. This is always fun. I love talking to incredible women like you and just people. Wow. I and can be found at drzenovia.com. My Instagram handle's at Dr. including TikTok, believe it or not. And um, my medical practice is zenamedical.com, Z-E-N-A medical.com, and it's in Newport Beach, California. And thank you everyone for listening. If you have any questions about anything we've talked about, you can contact my people at zenamedical.com, and I can be reached. I do private consultations on the web all over the world. So I really love helping people, that's my passion.
0: It comes through. It, it is very evident. I'm so grateful for your time and wisdom, Dr. via Thank you so much.
1: You're amazing that you handled those babies in the end of this phone, in the end of this podcast. Good job, Sony. I'm
0: sweating. I'm. I am like literally. I could wring myself out because I know. Me Take so care. Much. Thank you. Bye. Dr. Z. bye-bye. Bye. Guys, thank you so much for listening to and or watching this episode of We Gotta Talk. Really, really appreciate you being here. We will get all of the links that Dr. Z mentioned in show notes. Please do rate, review, and subscribe. That makes a huge difference in getting these shows out to people who need it or
1: might find it entertaining. A little visitor there. Okay, bye, <laughs> bye guys. I love thank you. you so much.